0: I, I have a lot of things that I've forgotten that I can't remember. For instance, I can go back to my childhood and stuff and I still remember that, but yet you can I can go into the 70s and there are a lot of things I can't remember. The same thing with the victims. I've looked at all of, I don't know if, if you notice here, we've got pictures of every one of the victims here. And believe it or not, for the last 12 years, I've studied these photos of these victims. And there is no, uh, we, we have a shot of all of the victims together here. And uh, when you look over at the the photos, I have no recollection of any of them, never met them. And we've gone over this more than once. They're just names and faces. And when you you look at them, uh, the thing of it is, we took it a step further. We went into their backgrounds. I wanted to know where they were at, what schools they attended, who they hung out with, and what kind of activities they were into. And that's what we dug up on each one of the victims. But still, there is no association. None of them never worked for me. None of them, they never went to any places that I ever hung around, because I didn't hang around that many places, unless you were involved in politics, or, or you, if you were involved in clowning, then I might have ran into you. But there's no way I could have run into any of them. This is the first time you're speaking publicly. I had no need to talk to the media. They were looking for sensationalism and they were looking for the monster.
1: Police found 29 bodies buried in shallow graves under Gacy's suburban Chicago home. He's a very good neighbor. We socialize with him. Gacy was well respected in his community and even dressed up as a clown to entertain children. He said to me, clowns can get away with murder.
2: was convicted of murdering more people than anyone else in U.S. history.
0: It had nothing to do with the bodies. The dead won't bother you. It's the living you got to worry about.
1: There were red flags all along the way that for some reason nobody paid attention to.
3: We're learning so much now we would never have known at the time.
1: Could Gacy have done this alone? Maybe there's a cover-up here.
0: Mom protected John. She carried secrets she went to the grave with.
3: The thing everybody thought they knew wasn't the whole story. He dressed as a clown to make children laugh, but behind the face paint was a man who tortured and murdered. He claimed to be a loving father, but what he'd done to his young victims were unspeakable. His name, John Wayne Gacy. Welcome to Beyond the Edge of Darkness. Gacy was born on March 17, 1942, in Chicago, Illinois. The son of Danish and Polish parents, Gacy and his siblings grew up with an alcoholic father who would beat the children with a razor strap if they were perceived to have misbehaved. His father physically assaulted Gacy's mother also. Gacy's sister Karen would later say that the siblings had to learn to toughen up against the beatings. She also said Gacy would try his very best to not show any emotion and try not to cry. Gacy suffered further alienation at school, unable to play with other children due to a congenital heart condition that was looked upon by his father as another failing. He later realized he was attracted to men and experienced great turmoil over his sexuality. After attending a number of different high schools during his senior year and never graduating, Gacy dropped out of school and left Chicago for Las Vegas. While there, he worked part-time as a janitor for Palm Mortuary. Unhappy in Vegas, he returned to Chicago a few months later. During the early 1960s, Gacy enrolled in a business college and developed a talent for salesmanship. A born salesman, he could talk his way in and out of practically any situation. Upon graduating, he went to work as a management trainee at Nunbush Shoe Co. in downtown Chicago. He excelled in his position and within weeks was transferred to Springfield to manage a men's clothing outlet for the company where he remained employed for nearly a year. Shortly after his promotion, Gacy married into a wealthy family and relocated with his new bride to Waterloo, Iowa. In 1966, at the request of his father-in-law, Gacy took over management of the family's chicken restaurant. Gacy quickly became a well-known and liked member of the community, according to later accounts in the Waterloo Courier. He professed his innocence and it appeared he might beat the charges, but in August of that year he hired another Waterloo youth to beat up one of his accusers. The youth was caught and confessed all, and Gacy was arrested. Before the year was out, he was convicted of sodomy and sentenced to 10 years in the Iowa State Penitentiary. Gacy moved in with his mother and got a job as a chef in a Chicago restaurant. In 1971, with his mother's financial assistance, he bought a house at West Somerdale Avenue in an unincorporated area of Norwood Park. The house had a deep crawl space under the floor. On February 12, 1971, Gacy was charged with disorderly conduct. A teenage boy claimed that Gacy picked him up and tried to force him into sex. The complaint was dropped when the boy did not appear in court. The Iowa Board of Parole did not learn of this, and Gacy was discharged from parole in October 1971. On June 22, 1972, Gacy was arrested again and charged with battery after another young man said that Gacy flashed a sheriff's badge, lured him into Gacy's car, and forced him into sex. Again charges were dropped. In June 1972, Gacy married Carol Hoff, an acquaintance from his teenage years. Hoff and her daughters moved into the Summerdale Avenue house. In 1975, Gacy started his own business, PDM Contractors, a construction company. At the same time, his marriage began to deteriorate. The Gacy's sex life came to a halt, and John Gacy would go out late and stay out all night. Carol found wallets, with IDs from young men lying around the house. John also began bringing gay pornography home, without even trying to hide it from his wife. The Gacy's divorced in March 1976. John became active in the local Democratic Party, first volunteering to clean the party offices. In 1975 and 1976, he served on the Norwood Park Township Street Lighting Committee. He eventually earned the title of Precinct Captain. In this capacity, he met and was photographed with First Lady Rosalind Carter, who was in town for the annual Polish Constitution Day Parade held on May 6, 1978. John Gacy was directing the parade for the third year in a row. Carter posed for pictures with him and autographed the photo to John Gacy. Best wishes. Rosalind Carter. In the picture, Gacy is wearing an S-pin, indicating a person who has received special clearance by the United States Secret Service. During the search of Gacy's house, after his arrest, this photo caused a major embarrassment to the Secret Service. In July 1975, one of Gacy's employees, John Bukovich, disappeared. Bukovich had recently left Gacy's, after an argument over back pay Bukovich was owed. Butkovich's parents urged police to check out Gacy, but nothing came of it and the young man's disappearance went unsolved. In December 1976, another Gacy employee, Gregory Godzik, disappeared and his parents asked police to investigate Gacy, as he was one of the last people known to have spoken to the boy. In neither case did the police pursue John Gacy nor did they discover his criminal record. In January 1977, John Schick, an acquaintance of Godzik and Gacy disappeared. Later that year, another of Gacy's employees was arrested for stealing gasoline from a station. The car he was driving had belonged to Schick. Gacy said that Schick had sold the car to him before leaving town, and the police failed to pursue the matter further. Gacy then started getting tired of digging holes in his crawlspace. He wanted space that was available at all times. He hired one of his employees, David Cram, to make more space. Cram also stayed in the spare bedroom while all this was going on. One night Cram came in from work early. He found Gacy drunk and in his clown outfit. They had a few drinks, and then Gacy tricked Cram into the handcuffs. Gacy then started growling like an animal and began whispering to Cram.
2: I'm going to rape you.
3: Cram pushed Gacy down and somehow grabbed the key and escaped to his room. Not all of Gacy's victims died. In March 1978, Gacy lured Jeffrey Rignall into his car. Gacy chloroformed the young man, took him back to the house on Somerdale, raped and tortured him, then dumped him in Lincoln Park. Police drew a blank, but Rignall remembered, through the chloroform haze of that night, a Black Oldsmobile, the Kennedy Expressway, and some side streets. He staked out the exit on the expressway until he saw the Black Oldsmobile, which he followed to 80-13 to West Summerdale. Police issued a warrant and arrested Gacy on July 15. He was facing trial on a battery charge for the Rignall incident when he was arrested in December for the other murders. In December 1977, a 19-year-old man complained that Gacy had kidnapped him at gunpoint and forced him into sex. Yet again, Chicago police took no action. Robert Peast, a 15-year-old boy, disappeared on December 11, 1978 from the De Plains Pharmacy where he worked after school. Just before he vanished, Peist told a co-worker he was going to a house down the street to talk to some contractor about a job. Gacy had been at the pharmacy that night discussing a remodeling job with the owner. Gacy denied talking to Peist when Plains police called him the next day. But the De Plains police did what Chicago police failed to do and checked Gacy's record, discovering that he had done time for sodomy. A search of Gacy's house on December 13 turned up some suspicious items a 1975 high school class ring, driver's licenses for other people, handcuffs, an unknown object with holes drilled in the ends, a syringe, clothing too small for Gacy, and a photo receipt from the pharmacy where Pieced worked. Detectives noticed an offensive odor coming from the crawlspace beneath the house. Further investigation revealed Godzik's disappearance. The high school ring was traced to Schick from Gacy's second wife they learned of Butkovich. On December 21, 1978, one of Gacy's employees told the police that Gacy had confessed to more than 30 murders. Shortly thereafter, Gacy was arrested for marijuana possession. Police took out a second warrant, went back to the house on Somerdale, and found human bones in the crawlspace. After being informed that he would now face murder charges, Gacy confessed to some 25 to 30 murders telling investigators that most were buried in the crawlspace on his property and that he threw the last five bodies after the crawlspace was full off the I-55 bridge and into the De Plaines River, including that of Piest. Gacy drew police a diagram of his crawlspace to show where the bodies were buried. Gacy told the police that he would pick up male teenage runaways or male prostitutes off the streets, take them back to his house, or just grab them by force. He picked up at least one of his victims at the bus station. Once they got back to his house, he would handcuff them or tie them up in another way. Gacy would often stick clothing in their mouths to muffle their screams. After this, he would choke them with a rope or a board as he sexually assaulted them. Gacy would also keep the bodies, With him for as long as the decomposition would allow. The police had already gone back to the house to search for more remains, mostly under the crawlspace. For the next few months, more and more human remains emerged from the house as reporters, TV news crews, astonished onlookers watched. Twenty nine bodies were found in Gacy's crawlspace and on his property between December 1978 and March 1979. The youngest identified victims, were Samuel Stapleton and Michael Marino. Both 14 years old, the oldest were Russell Nelson and James Mazzara. Both 21 years old, eight of the victims were so badly decomposed that they were never identified. Robert Peace's body was discovered on the banks of the Plains Water later on April 9. On February 6, 1980, Gacy's trial began in Chicago. During the trial, he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. However this plea was rejected outright. Gacy's lawyer Sam Amirondi said that Gacy had moments of temporary insanity at the time of each individual murder, but regained his sanity, before and after to lure and dispose of victims. While on trial, Gacy joked that the only thing he was guilty of was running a cemetery without a license. At one point in the trial, Gacy's defense also tried to claim that all 33 murders were accidental deaths as part of erotic asphyxia. But the Cook County coroner countered this assertion with evidence that Gacy's claim was impossible. Gacy had also made an earlier confession to police and was unable to have this evidence suppressed. He was found guilty on March 13 and sentenced to death. On May 10, 1994, Gacy was executed at Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill, Illinois by lethal injection. His last meal consisted of a dozen deep-fried shrimp, a bucket of original recipe chicken from KFC, a pound of fresh strawberries and French fries. His execution was a minor media sensation, and large crowds of people gathered for execution parties outside the penitentiary, with numerous arrests for public intoxication and disorderly conduct. Vendors sold Gacy-related t-shirts and other merchandise, and the crowd cheered at the moment when Gacy was pronounced dead. According to reports, Gacy did not express remorse. His last words to his lawyer in his cell were to the effect that killing him would not bring anyone back. And it is reported his last words were kiss my ass, which he said to a correctional officer while he was being sent to the execution chamber. Before the execution began, the lethal chemicals unexpectedly solidified, clogging the IV tube that led into Gacy's arm and prevented any further passage. Blinds covering the window through which witnesses observed the execution were drawn, and the execution team replaced the clogged tube with a new one. Ten minutes later, the blinds were reopened and the execution resumed. It took 18 minutes to complete. Anesthesiologists blamed the problem on the inexperience of prison officials who were conducting the execution, saying that proper procedures taught in IV-101 would have prevented the error. This apparently led to Illinois adoption of a different method of lethal injection. On this subject, the chief prosecutor at Gacy's trial, William Kunkel, said he still got a much easier death than any of his victims.
2: It's just about over for J.W. Gacy. He's been on death row in Illinois since 1980 for murdering 33 young men and boys. Now, after years of appeals, his execution is just hours away. Correspondent Frank Courier reports on the impending death. Of the worst serial killer in U.S. history in tonight's eye on America. Gacy is a killer. In a Chicago parade today, the call was death to Gacy. He's gonna get what he deserves. For condemned serial killer John Wayne Gacy, it is almost time. So I say go ahead and pull the chain. And after 14 years, long overdue. The day after he was found guilty, he should execute him. Tomorrow morning, John Wayne Gacy, you're gonna wake up dead. At a minute past midnight a few hours from now, executioners at Stateville Penitentiary near Chicago will deliver a lethal injection. Gacy will be in here where the door closed. Right, the executioners right, right. are through there. Right. And one of America's most notorious murderers will be put to death, denying his guilt.
0: If you're going to go ahead and execute me, go ahead and do it. But you will have not have gotten the killer.
2: But Gacy confessed to police that back in the 70s, he killed 33 people, was later convicted of torturing and strangling them. 33 young men and boys, their bodies buried in mud beneath the crawl space of his house. Having lethal injection to me is, is not suffering enough. Eugenia Godzik's younger brother, Greg, was among Gacy's victims. I feel he should have had something done 33 times, just like he did to other people 33 times. When you lose a child, it's like taking a little piece of your heart out. Dolores Nieder is still grieving. Her son John Mowry also wound up in Gacy's graveyard. He has not shown one ounce of remorse for killing these 33 boys. Instead, this one time con man politician, party host, and clown turned killer has spent more than 5,000 days on death row, dodging execution during more than 20 failed legal appeals.
0: Go ahead and kill me. But Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, because you will have executed somebody that didn't commit the crime.
2: We're ready to go. The only thing that will stop this execution is if the courts tell us to stop it. And so far, last-ditch defense maneuvers have failed, with prosecutors bent on assuring Gacy becomes Illinois' first involuntary execution in 32 years. We're going to do it, we're going to do it well. And we're going to have justice done. While taxpayers have spent an estimated three million dollars to fight his appeals and keep him alive john wayne gacy has been hugely successful with paint and a brush profiting from his notoriety as a serial killer in galleries gacy's crude paintings are on exhibit jesus elvis the seven dwarfs and the self-portrait as pogo the clown collectors have paid him more than a hundred thousand dollars Thank you for calling the John Wayne Gacy interview line. And there's his 900 phone line, where for $22, you can hear Gacy argue his innocence. Over the past 14 years, I, John Wayne Gacy, have been appealing my conviction for the murder of 33 young men and boys. He has affected more lives than probably anybody else in American history. Not just the kids that he killed, but all of these people that have been left behind. The families are invited to the penitentiary tonight, but won't be allowed to witness the execution. It's been put off so many times already, it's hard to believe that it's really going to take place.
0: We're talking about 33 murders that I've had to live with, blamed to me, labeled to me. I may be the 34th victim.
2: He's a con man. He tortured his victims. It's sad that Casey ruined thousands of lives. For them, and for the 14 years they've waited, Gacy's date with death can't come too soon. At Stateville Penitentiary... Kogel police may have passed over crucial clues in the mass murder investigation. Details on these stories and others next on Eyewitness News. A $6 million lawsuit has
1: been filed against mass murder suspect John Gacy. Parents of slain teenager John Butkovich hope to be awarded proceeds from any publications about the Gacy case. They also want any funds from the alleged killer's contracting firm. Tonight, Jay Levine continues his close-up look at the Gacy case and how police may have overlooked evidence that could have prevented the murder spree. A careful examination of police and other official documents by Eyewitness News reveals that John Gacy came into contact with authorities more than half a dozen times allegedly involved in crimes ranging from kidnapping to rape and assault. His name came up in connection with missing persons. He was even linked to a theft committed with the car of one of his victims. These police contacts came not with unrelated, relatively unsophisticated suburban departments, but with one of the biggest, best equipped and trained departments in the world. Even so, using the same combination of bluff and bluster with which he talked his way into being photographed with dignitaries, Gacy managed to talk his way out of each and every beef. Said one former employee, he had a way of getting what he wanted. He was a master con man. And He was good. I mean, he, he got whatever he wanted, you know. He did what he had to do to get what he wanted. That's, that was his philosophy. In August of 1975, Johnny Butkovich's car was found abandoned at Lawrence and Sheridan. The 18-year-old's jacket, wallet, and keys inside. The last time his parents saw him, he was leaving to confront John Gacy about some back pay. And this youth police, he told me, he talked with the Gacy, Gacy
0: refused to talk to him. And he should know right away something wrong. If you, if Gacy don't want to talk to him, something wrong right there.
1: Area 6 youth officers considered Butkovich a runaway. Youth Division officers from Areas 5 and 6 were out looking for John Gacy again five months later. Responding to reports of a man named John cruising the Uptown area picking up young boys, they followed him for over a month, questioned youths going in and out of his Norwood Park Township home, and came up empty. Later that year, Taft High School senior Greg Godzik disappeared just after telling his girlfriend that 1976 had been the best year of his life. His mother told Area 5 youth officers to check out the man Greg had worked for, John Gacy, and then called Gacy herself. I talked to him. I called him up to find out if my Gregory called. And he said he did, and that he was going to come to work. And I said, Well, did he ever come? He says, No. And I says, How do you know it was Gregory? And he says, Because he had him on his uh, tape, you know. And I asked him if he, you know, if he could play it back. He said, no, he erased it, so I wouldn't know. Did you ever tell the police about your conversation with John Gacy?
3: Yes, I'm sure I did.
1: Police would have had no way of tying Gacy to a 19-year-old who disappeared barely a month later, except we've learned that this time he got careless, taking and then selling John Zick's 1971 Plymouth Satellite to Mike Rossi. Gacy and Rossi, other employees say, were like father and son. In December, Rossi was brought to the house on Somerdale to point out the location of holes he admitted digging in the crawl space. He claims to know nothing about the bodies. It was Rossi's failing to pay for a tank full of gas in September of 1977 that brought police to Gacy's home once again. He and Rossi straightened out the beef about the gas and in the process convinced police to close the Zick missing person file. This letter was sent to Zick's parents. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Zick, I was unable to locate your son but i did learn that he sold his auto in february of 1977 and told the buyer that he needed the money to leave town but no one seems to be able to explain why if zick needed money he left behind two paychecks all his possessions and even bought new license plates for the car the day he disappeared had chicago police bothered to check as we did the original title to zick's car note the signature and compared it to the title transfer filed when the car was allegedly sold by Zick to Gacy and Rossi. Again, note Zick's signature. It would have been obvious to them that something was fishy. John Zick did not sign the second time, 18 days after he was reported missing. He was undoubtedly already dead. Area six homicide sex officers in the state's attorney's office also took Gacy's word against that of the teenager he allegedly abducted at gunpoint near Lawrence and Western in December. During that assault, the 19-year-old youth tells me, Gacy bragged of having killed others. He claims he told all this to police. In light of Jeff Rignall told a, a similar story today, three months he later. He, he succeeded in having Gacy arrested last summer, but it was while that case was pending, Gacy free on bond, that Desplaines teenager Rob Peace disappeared and set in motion the chain of events that led to the gruesome discovery of bodies in Gacy's basement. Police not does good job for my son not for the rest of uh, those kids. If they, if they follow those, those, those thing, investigation, maybe Johnny only be dead. Only Johnny, maybe rest to be alive. rest of them not have to be dead. We requested an interview with Chicago Police Superintendent James O'Grady, a man who's known to be quite upset about police handling of the Gacy case. The request was denied. O'Grady said any comment on his part would be improper and in violation of a gag order imposed by a circuit court judge. In the meantime, we've also learned that three former Gacy associates are still under investigation for their involvement in or knowledge of the assaults and murders. One of them, Mike Rossi, will be ordered to hand over handwriting samples in connection with a forged title transfer. Rossi, sources say, has already hired former state's attorney Ed Henrahan to represent him. Jay Levine, Channel 7 Eyewitness News.
3: Thoughts and condolences to all those poor families and victims. To this day, there are still families who don't know if their missing loved ones fell victim to Gacy.
4: A 40-year mystery solved. One of John Wayne Gacy's victims is now identified. CBS 2's Jim Williams tells us who he was. For more than 40 years, Lori Sisterman wondered. What happened to her younger brother, Jimmy? He's a CEO of a company, and he's sitting in, you know, Jamaica, sipping, you know, mai tais, you know, and and he's rich. Then her thoughts turned grim. He fell down and he hurt himself, and no one's found him. This week, Cook County detectives traveled to Minnesota and told Sisterman and other family members, Jimmy was murdered, likely in 1976, by John Wayne Gacy.
3: When he first said it, I'm sorry to inform you that you're. It- It is victim 24, is your brother. Um,
4: I I was stunned. James Byron Hockerman. Born in Chicago, raised in St. Paul, Minnesota, left home for Chicago when he was just 16 seeking adventure. When investigators began digging in the crawl space under the home of John Wayne Gacy, in 1978 Jimmy's body was found between two other victims in Gacy's crawl space. He was killing so many people that he was burying people on top of each other. As authorities learned the names of most of Gacy's 33 victims, Jimmy's remains were not identified because the family had no dental records. But years later, after advances in DNA evidence, the Cook County Sheriff collected a sample from Jimmy's jawbone that had been buried in a cemetery. So when we went to try to do this, we had to go find the mandible bones, which was a very, very difficult, unpleasant experience. They had a match with DNA from Jimmy's family members.
3: My daughter was crying and other people, and you'd think I'd be crying, and I did eventually, but I, it just hit me.
4: HIS FAMILY IS MAKING A HEADSTONE FOR JIMMY'S GRAVE.
3: WE'LL ACTUALLY PUT HIS NAME, JAMES BYRON HAWKINSON.
4: VICTIM 24, UNKNOWN NO LONGER. IN THE FIRST WEEK OF AUGUST 1976, JIMMY HAWKINSON CALLED HIS MOTHER TO TELL HER HE HAD ARRIVED IN CHICAGO. HIS FAMILY NEVER HEARD FROM HIM AGAIN. Six Gacy victims are still unidentified. Rob and Erica, Sheriff Tom Dart is urging anyone out there who wonders whether or not they might have a family member who's a Gacy victim to provide a DNA sample. I don't know that people know how much work the sheriff's office has done years and years and years later doing this painstaking work and, as the sheriff said, unpleasant work. Very up. He said, The bones that were collected were like they were in a chicken basket. For decades, this family didn't have answers. And finally, it has to be mixed emotions to have at least some sense of closure. You know, we have that. Tonight say that justices could have kept Gacy alive, brushed their
2: motions aside without reading them. During a Chicago news conference late this afternoon, Gacy's lawyers say that the 7th U.S. Court of Appeals addressed a point not included in their argument, proving that the justices couldn't have read it. The notorious serial killer was executed early today at Stateville Prison in Joliet. Channel 3's John Paul was there when Gacy died. As the sun set on Stateville Prison, serial killer John Gacy's appeals to put off his date with death faded too.
3: John Wayne Gacy was pronounced dead at 12:58 uh, uh, a.m. The
2: 52-year-old Chicago man who killed 33 young men and boys and buried them in his crawl space had spent 14 years on death row. His victims' families wanted more
4: pain. I'm glad it's over. I just wish that there could have
3: after his execution. Gacy's brain was removed. It is currently in the possession of Dr. Helen Morrison, who interviewed Gacy and other serial killers in an attempt to isolate common personality traits of violent sociopaths. However, an examination of Gacy's brain after his execution by the forensic psychiatrist hired by his lawyers revealed no abnormalities.